The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. My lesson today is going to deal with when we get to that, that pinnacle, when we've reached that point, maybe I've got this, when you reach that point, you, you've climbed the summit, and, and, and you think you, you've made it, you've been successful. How do you handle success? I don't have five of anything, I don't think. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to break it down a little more simply. You're either going to handle it properly or you're going to mishandle it. Brethren. You're not going to stay in the same place. When you arrive, You've got to go somewhere. And if you don't realize that, you're going to be shifted and you're going to drift away from the truth. So be careful how you handle success. I don't know what the next slide looks like. It don't look like that. Boy, you got a quick thing right there. <laughs> I, I, I believe that thing just does whatever it wants to do. I'm going back to mishandling. Have you ever thought about some of these professional ball players, professional athletes, the money that they make? A fellow by the name of Warren Sapp, you remember him? Played about 12 years in the NFL. Made 80. Two million dollars. Now, could you get by on that? <laughs> could you just make it? I, I think I, I believe. Say, if you want to give me a, hey, let's break it down. You give me a million dollars, I think I can make it. I won't ever have to hit another lick of a snake. Eighty-two million dollars. Three years after he retires from the NFL, files for bankruptcy, broke. Nothing. Then you've got Vince Young, quarterback for Texas. Then signed uh, with uh, Nashville, I think it was, the Tennessee Titans at that time. And he signed for $25.7 million, a five-year deal. Got injured about two years after he retired. Nothing. That's nothing. You ever heard of a fellow by the name of Mike Tyson? Heavyweight champion of the world? You got a clue to how much money this man made in his lifetime? $400 million. Filed bankruptcy. Broke. Don't have a penny. Another fellow by the name of Evander Holyfield, 20, uh, $250 million. Nothing. Got nothing. How 
in the world can you have $400 million and not have nothing? They file bankruptcy. They, they, their homes go into foreclosure. The banks take them. They've got nothing. Do you know that 6% of all NBA players, 6%, go bankrupt within 15 years of their retirement? That average salary there is about $27 million. Nothing. If you don't believe you can mishandle success, you're not paying attention. I read a statistic somewhere, and I meant to Google this and look this up. Maybe one of you guys real quick and do it. Uh, all of the lottery winners, all of them, I think it is as high as 90% of people who win the lottery are broke within a year or two after winning the lotteries. How in the world can that be? Millions and millions of dollars, and yet it's gone. Well, the truth of the matter is, the road to success and the road to failure, they're very similar. You need to be careful where you step, watch where you step, and pay attention, or you're going to end up worse off than the beginning. I'm going to do my best to show you three passages. Let's start in 1 Samuel chapter 9. I talked to Tim earlier this week and I said, man, there, there's so many examples in the Bible of people who rose to a great height in their life. Success, we'd call it. That pinnacle. But yet, just as soon as they rise to that pinnacle, it's almost as if they forget God and then their life just plummets. Saul, David, Solomon. What about Moses? And the list could go on and on and on of individuals that rise to success, but yet they lose everything. You start and you look at Saul in 1 Samuel 9, and I want to look at verse 2. Here's a description of him. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and godly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people. Here is a, here's a big young man. I, I don't know where Todd gets these five foot three folks. We, we, we try to try try to grow them about six three, six four, six five. I have a, a grandson playing ball in uh, the Montgomery area, six five. I, that's you know. Here's here's Saul. He's everything that you could want. It's what we would describe. There's a good kid. There's a, there's a young man that's got his head screwed on straight. 
He's got everything going for him. Hey, you want to look at some of the, the attributes that you see. Look at verse 3. Uh, here is the ashes of Kiss. Saul's fathers were lost. And Kiss said to his son, to Saul, his son, Take now one of the servants with thee and arise and go seek the asses. Go look for those donkeys. You know what his answer was? Yes, sir. You know what my daddy wanted to hear? If he said, do this or do that? Yes, sir. Yeah. That, that, that wasn't good enough. It was yes, sir. If you spoke to my mama, it was yes, ma'am. Here's, here's a polite, obedient. Not only that, verse 5. Look at his thoughtfulness. He, he, he's thinking about, about his father and about the fact that his father's probably worried about him. Here's an obedient, thoughtful, righteous. Look at verse 6. All that he saith surely come to pass. Now let us go thither. Perventure, he can show us our ways that we should go. Uh, let's go to this man of God and let's ask him. And, 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 and he, well, here's a man, he was concerned. He was a righteous young man. But then you come to chapter 10 and verse 1. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and says, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over all of his inheritance? Here we see Saul is anointed as king. Don't take me but to turn to two pages in my Bible. I come to chapter 13. Two years have passed. Two years have passed. What's going to happen to this young man that was thoughtful? He was obedient. He was generous. He was humble. Well, here's what's going to happen. All of a sudden, he forgets about his position. Just because you rise to king does not mean that you have the power to overthrow what God has said. And all of a sudden, Saul's going to do things that are unauthorized. You look in chapter 13, uh, go down to verse 8. He tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not to Gilgal. The people were scattered from him, and Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offering, and he Circle it. He offered the burnt offering. Saul, so you know about an act? That'd be like a woman coming in here. And we needed a song leader. And our song leader's voice has gone out. And nobody else is willing to do it. She said, well, I'll just leave singing. It'll be all right. Whoa, time out. Back up. It seems like I, I didn't God say something about women and their role and, and that's not a role that a woman has or is supposed to have in regards to the congregation. Where in the world do we come up with ideas like this? Well, 
I'll substitute. I'll just step in. The priest is not here. Samuel's not here. I'm tired of waiting on him. So therefore, I'll do what I want to do. He offered this sacrifice and brethren, it's going to cost him. Look down in verse 11. This goes back to what Todd and Cliff both have said in regards to offering excuses. Uh, one excuse is as good as another. Brother Jerry Jenkins, I never heard Brother Jerry say this, but we have an elder that worshiped with uh, Brother Jerry for many, many years. And uh, when anybody offered uh, an excuse, Brother Jenkins might, would always say, well, you might as well just said you had soup for supper. He said, Call one excuse is as good as another. When I hear Saul's reasoning in verse 11, Samuel said, What hast thou done? You know what sin is? It's losing your mind. Now God commands, and, and, and we're going to flip one more page and you're going to see him lose his mind even more. God's already laid down the law. Saul is, knows and understands what's supposed to be done, but he's going to take it on himself. What have you done, Saul? Because I saw that the people were scattered. See, now, it's your fault. It's your prophet's fault. He should have been here on time. People are just running around everywhere. So I had to take charge. You forced me into this situation. Oh, no. No, no, no. Nobody has forced you into this situation. Notice in verse 13. You've done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. Verse 14. And now the kingdom shall not continue. Look what you've done, Saul. Yeah, but I, I'm king. It doesn't mean that you can disregard God's law, regardless of who you are. Then, skip over to chapter 14 and look at verse 24. I think you see an unauthorized law. Here is Saul, and the men of Israel were distressed for that day, and Saul hath adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged on my... I. You never noticed how that word I gets thrown in there a lot when we start leaving God out of things. I want. I thought. I. Well, it's not about us. It's about what God has said. Here's an unauthorized law. Skip on over to verse 35 of the same chapter and you're going to see an unauthorized altar. Saul built an altar unto the Lord and the same was the first altar that he built unto the Lord. Where did you get the right to do this? Where's that altar supposed to be? Then go on in, over to chapter 15. And I have to admit, this is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. Why? I, 
because it's so plain. If you want to see the truth, you can see the truth in 1 Samuel 15. Here, Samuel, verse 1, to Saul. And, and the word of the Lord said in verse 2, I remember that Amalek did not, or what did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay them both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. You know why the Lord did that? Because he knew he was dealing with children. You ever told a child, go in there and clean your room? Now, you can open the door and there are clothes. It looks like a bomb has gone off in that room. There's clothes everywhere. There's basketballs. There's footballs. There's baseballs. There's tennis shoes. There's cleats. There's dirty underwear. There's towels. And a mama who doesn't know anything, especially about boys, will say to that boy, clean your room. And she may check on him in 30 minutes and he's laying up on the bed and he's flipping the basketball up in the air like this. And it still looks like a bomb's going off. I thought I told you to clean the room. I did. I put my tennis shoes up. I didn't get it. I didn't clean the room. That's, that's why Samuel said, here's what the Lord said. Don't spare a man. Don't spare anything. What? Did you get that? Todd, did you understand that? What's that mean? Don't spare anybody. But then he goes through the entire list. Man, woman, ox, ass, everything. Well, he defined it for them. Is that clear enough? That's just like the instructions our daddy used to give us. I, I, Y'all may not understand this, but I know that my daddy was coming home at 3 o'clock in the afternoon if he'd work in day shift. And he'd leave instructions with mama, and the instructions were, have the grass mowed before I get home. Before. <laughs> You didn't take but about one time to be sitting on the couch at 2.59 and realize you hadn't mowed the grass. And he's coming in in about, in about 60 seconds and there's no way that grass is going to get mowed in 60 seconds. You'd get a reminder. <clears throat> You'd get an explanation of what that meant. God's here, folks, if you don't learn anything else today, learn this. God's Word is plain. Amen. You can understand it. Amen. Now, you can argue with it. You can reject it. You can deny it. But God says what He means. Now, here's the instruction. You go down and utterly destroy the Amalekites. All right? Then, first of all, in regards to his obedience in verse 4, he's, man, he just, that's uh, what he said, so he just gets the army. Let's go. But then you get down to verse 9. Saul and the people spared Agag 
and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fatling and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them but everything that was vile and refuge they destroyed utterly. We didn't want that trash. We destroyed that. But everything looked good. We kept. We even kept the king alive. Why? I tell you why. Because you have an unauthorized service. You have an unauthorized response in regards to what God has said. And he's going to go on down here. And I love the part where Samuel comes in and says, uh, you know, I hear sheep and oxen lowing. Uh, what, what does that mean? I tell you what it means. I didn't do what God told me to do. But no, no. Here's the old pack and answer. It's the people's fault. The people, they wanted to spare him. So, so we, we did. Well, what kind of leader does that make you? What kind of leader does that make you? Not much of one. Stand with God. Don't stand with the population. Then he says in verse 20, I have obeyed. Saul, uh, you, you may fool some people, but you're not fooling God. You have not obeyed. Then we see in verses 22 and 23, hath the Lord his great delight in these burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. There's a contrast there. You can substitute whatever you want to, but did you obey God? And we see Saul as he rises to the height of king, and then you're going to see his fall. Why? Because he didn't handle success properly. All right. All right. I want you to flip over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. This chapter is one that I particularly like and enjoy as well. But if you start down in verse 13, here's a problem. There's a family squabble, and they want the Lord to settle it. Preachers, here's a lesson you need to learn. Amen. <laughs> you need to stay out of some, some folks' squabbles. We, we are not fixed at all. We're not. He says... Master, speak to my brother that he divided the inheritance. And he said, man, who made me a judge or ruler over you? Well, I thought this was the Lord. It is. Lord's got sense enough to stay out of some arguments. We need to learn that principle. And then he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for man's life consists of not in the abundance of things which he possesses. And he spake a parable, a certain rich man, uh, brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, now here's that word again, what shall I do because I have no more room to sow my fruits? And he said, this I will do. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there will I 
bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I'll say to my soul, so take thy ease. You've got these things laid up. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, would you, would you call this guy successful? I mean, when, when I lived, I did my first preaching in Arkansas. One of the greatest uh, elders I've ever worked with was a fellow by the name of Jimmy, Jimmy Manley. And old Jimmy was a farmer. And he used to laugh and he said, you know, uh, if, if a farmer won a lot of money, you know what he'd do? Well, he'd keep farming until he lost that too. But uh, he said, we just keep farming. Uh, but Jimmy would, would look at this and he, he recognized that he had a responsibility to God. He, he was a great guy. He really was. When you look at this, here you're going to see a rich fool. Now why? Well, he's successful. But even though that he's successful, he's not going to be able to hold on to it. Why? Here's things that we need to learn. First of all, he took credit for his success. Look what I've done. Rather than when you leave God out of the equation, it's never going to work. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I think we need to learn that uh, our success is not on our own merits. I'm teaching the book of Romans right now on Wednesday night. And if you look at Romans chapter 12 and 13, I believe that's one of the points he's trying to teach the Romans. Uh, when, when you look at the discussion in relationship to the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fact that the Romans had some of these things, but yet they want to they say what I've got is better than what you've got. And Paul brings them back to reality. Now, wait, 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 wait a second. Now, how is it that you got that Holy Spirit gift? Did, 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 did you conjure that up by yourself? No, it came from God. We need to realize that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. When we forget to thank God for the blessings we have in our life, then we develop the attitude of the old pig that eats out under the acorn tree all day long. Never takes time to give thanks or look up. Not only that, here's the... The second point, he not only took credit for it, I think here's a man who becomes selfish. Uh, and, and if my belief, if you look at Matthew 5 and verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, that poor in spirit does with, talks about selflessness. It's, it's not talking about and, and I hear preachers use this illustration all the time. They, they won't talk about a, put ho bits in the horse's mouth and you control. And, and, and No, 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 no. He's not talking about somebody that doesn't have him get up and go. He's not talking about controlling get up and go. 
What he's talking about is a man who recognizes that without God, he has nothing. Poor in spirit. Until you become selfless, get out of your own way. If you, if you are going to save yourself, why do you need God? Why do you need to save him? You're not going to do it, brethren. Here's a man that's selfish. And instead of saying, man, I can... I've, I've fared sumptuously. I, I, look at all the uh, things that I've produced. I, I can help sister so-and-so. I can help brother so-and-so. Yeah, they're going through some difficult times. I can, I can kind of tie them. I can help so much. No. He said, no, 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 no. Uh, what I need to do is build bigger barns. Just kind of hoard it back over there. You know, that rainy day may be coming. He becomes complacent. I think this, this is the death blow in regards to mishandling success. You think you've made it. You reach that pinnacle. There are no more mountains to climb. Oh, how sad and situation that is, how wrong it is. I, I think when, when you do that, you, you start to uh, lose sight of what God wants us to do. How many of you have ever taken the Bible and sat down at somebody's table with them and you carry them through a study and you get them to the point of uh, they recognize they're lost and they need a savior and you show them what to do and they say that's what I want to do and, and you come down here and you watch them be put under that watery grave of baptism their sins are washed away how many of you said boy I'm glad that's over with I've got it I'm done I'm done I I got one. Anybody that's ever done that, that, that's not what you say at that point in time. What do you say at that point in time? It's time to find somebody else. Man, that has created a fire in me. It's created a, a hunger. I, 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 oh, man. You, you, you know what old Rob taught us over here. That works. I need to be listening. I need to be looking. I need to be praying. Hey, success just, instead of, when it's handled properly, it's going to spur you on to more success. Otherwise, you're going to get complacent. Not only that, you're going to lose a sense of urgency. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then, here's the haunting statement. Then, who shall those things be? Hey, hey folks, number one, you're not carrying it with you. 
They're not going to put that million dollars or two million dollars or 14 million dollars or whatever. They're not going to put that Cadillac in that casket. They're just not going to do it. You leaving it to somebody. Are you leaving it in good hands? Man, this, this place has been our family for 150 years. Kids are thinking, I hope just as soon as he dies, we're going to get rid of this place. It's sold. First person that comes along, we're getting rid of it. Now, who? This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Christ said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh. The night cometh. The night's coming when no man can work. One other thing. <sighs> he forgot this point I just made. You can't carry it with you, folks. You just can't carry it with you. My last point. <laughs> Philippians 3, beginning in verse 13. Brethren, I count my, not myself to apprehend it, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I reach, reach for. I press toward the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I think he makes three points. Here's, here's how you properly handle success. Paul said, first of all, I'm not finished. I count not myself to apprehend it. I'm not done. I, I believe when you're successful, you want to do more. Uh, anybody who's done mission work, anybody who has preached, anyone who has taught somebody the gospel of Jesus Christ you're never satisfied with that one. It, it, it's like, what's that old Lay's uh, potato chip commercial? Can't just eat just one. You gotta have more. And Paul said, I know it. Uh, here, here's a man that later on is gonna say, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge give me. And not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. So he said, I've not finished. But then he says, putting those things behind. Forgetting the past. Past can be a great hindrance. If, if you live in a world where you can't forgive yourself, it's probably going to hinder your work in the church. Who am I that I, I should preach to these people? Look at the sins that are in my life. I know the answer to this question before I ask it. Is there anybody here who's not sinned? Hey, if, if you're the only one here that has never sinned, maybe you might, might need to be the one up here teaching us. I don't know. But I know what the Bible says. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, I know Romans 3.23, specifically speaking to Paul as he's addressing, addressing an attitude from the Gentiles and the Jews. 
I realize that. But I think it still applies that all men sin. Now, if you can't come to the Savior and let the Savior wash those sins away and put those things behind you and go to work, then you'll never be much of a servant in God's kingdom. I don't care how success, how much success you might have, you you you're up. you may let those things drag you down. Last thing, then I'll hush. Push forward. This is my favorite. I press toward the mark of prize. I, I, I love that Greek term that, that's, that's used right there of that pressing. Uh, I saw a, a, a race uh, this week on the news, I think it was, of a, of a guy who made a tremendous comeback. And I mean right at the finish line. He pushed that old chest out there and won the race. Well, that's, that's the effort that Paul's talking about. Hey, you think Paul was pretty successful? I, I think he started a few churches in his lifetime. He didn't start just one. He started many. He didn't teach just one. He taught many. He sought opportunities. First thing he does, every time I go into a town, I'm going into the synagogue. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to teach. Often he was rejected. He'd go to the Gentiles. Paul, haven't you done enough? I know the answer to that. No. I've not done enough. Rather, until they put us in the ground, we've not done all we can do. Let's keep working. Don't let success be that which destroys us. But let success be that which motivates and pushes us forward to keep working in God's kingdom. I know in a crowd like this, we've got great men. Thank you for taking the time to be here and to study with us. Great workers in God's kingdom. Maybe you've taken a step backward. You know, we're not advocating uh, private sins. Uh, if there's something you can take care of between you and your Father in heaven, do it. And go back to work. That's the point. But if you've allowed something to get you outside of the safety of God, you need to come back to your first love. Be no better time to do it than right now. If you're here and you've never been obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, hear the words of the Savior as he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Have you been converted? If not, we give you this opportunity to respond at this point in time. Won't you come? Just together we stand to say.